0: So as we get ready for communion, as you grab the elements that you need and that you set aside, I really want us to imagine something. I want us to imagine as we, as we do this communion that we're transported back in time to the, to the first century. It's Thursday, April 14th, A.D. 29. It's about to be Friday, April 15th. See their day starts at sundown. And Jesus, he serves the disciples and he, he washes their feet and before they recline at the table to have supper. And he gives these final words. These words about being clean in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, having joy in Jesus. And they recline at the table and they, they eat together this one last time before Jesus, as he puts it, the hour has come. Jesus, he pours into the lives of his disciples. All of his his teaching, all of his miracles are culminating with these final words. And I want us as we start communion to imagine that we're eating with Jesus. We're soaking up everything that he has to say. And I ask, do do we live our lives like Jesus is right there eating with us? In Luke 22, starting at verse 15, it says that Jesus is earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This word earnestly is so powerful, it means that He sincerely or He intensely, but also at the same time means solemnly and intently. I believe that Jesus, even at this time, feels so strongly about this communion time with us, and Jesus, he, he divides the cup, probably after the first or second cup of the traditional Passover. And then He takes the unleavened bread, which symbolizes His body that was not tainted in any way by sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, would suffer for those who sin. Let's pray for the bread. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the the gift of the cross, for the remembrance of him through his body, that we can remember the sacrifice on that day for us. I thank you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus... He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray for the cup. Oh, Jesus, you shed your blood on Calvary. I have no idea how to repay you, but on this good Friday, Lord, let us remember what you have done. Let us focus on you and let us never forget the blood that was shed for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, and likewise, Jesus, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that we get to Celebrate this communion and that you are right there with us. I thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are so powerful and you are in control. I thank you for your word and I just pray that your word would speak strongly to us today, that we would just hear it and that we would understand what you have done for us and have a newfound respect and love for the pain and the sorrow that you went through I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, this entire week we've been reading through John 13, and we're working our way through to the end of John. And as we've read it, we're seeing how Jesus is preparing his disciples this entire time He's preparing His disciples, this, this meal, these words of encouragement, this praying in the garden, and then being arrested. All of this happens on the, the Passover day. All of it is this preparation. And it starts in chapter 13. We have this Passover. And Passover is when these lambs are to be sacrificed Josephus tells us that 256,500 lambs would have been slaughtered on that day before 6 p.m. That night, the Passover lambs should have been eaten. You see, what takes thousands of lambs to fulfill year after year imperfectly is completed with one perfect Jesus. One sacrificial lamb is sufficient. And on that night, Jesus, he gives them the great commandment. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love others. And we are known by our love. Do we take that seriously? I'm not so sure that we do. So often we argue about things like the version of the Bible that we should read or the the songs that we should sing. But as we go through John 13 through 17, we do not see any talk about the KJV or any other Bible. We don't see about what hymns we should be singing. All we see is that Jesus should be worshipped. We focus on Jesus and what he is about to do, his words to his disciples. And I say newsflash, Christianity is about Jesus. Jesus, he speaks about God being glorified. He speaks about himself, Jesus, being glorified. In all of this, he calls us little children. And he begs us to love one another. He even reminds Peter that talk means nothing if we're not ready to walk the walk. But we also see that he forgives Peter. When Peter doesn't walk the walk... And I ask, can we not forgive others? And as we move into chapter 14, we see this, do not be troubled. You see, difficult times are ahead, but believe in God. Believe in the Son. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just about going to heaven. It's more about the path, the way, Jesus. Heaven is this byproduct of an overwhelming love and devotion for Jesus. Over and over again, he pleads with them, believe in me. Keep my commandments, Jesus says. Trust in the truth that is found in the Spirit. And we move to chapter 15. He reminds them that that Jesus is the foundation. He is the vine. And he says to stay with me. Stay with me and there will be fruit that is produced. People will come to salvation. Salvation is what matters. He says, Abide in me. Jesus says, Abide in me. Over and over again. Love Jesus. Love others. And there will be joy and there will be peace. Jesus is love and Jesus is peace. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. They have already hated me. And I, I handled it. And he says, you can handle it also. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you through these times. Do not fall away. The hour is coming. And they, the world, they think that they are winning. But in Jesus' death was victory for good and not evil. Remember what I am saying. Trust in the Father. When things get rough, lean into the words that I have given you. Jesus, He has just a little bit more time, and He is driving home what is important. I thought about this. What would, what would I say to my family if I had just a little bit of time to live? And Jesus, right here, is speaking to His family, telling Him His last wishes. You see, Jesus, He doesn't want dissension. No way. We don't have to fight one another. That doesn't mean that we neglect truth. No, that does not mean that at all. You see, unity is in the truth that Jesus has laid out. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Are we on this earth? Are we on this earth to condemn it? Or are we on this earth to save it? And it's pretty clear what our mission is. We must lean on Jesus. We must lean on what He has told us. And salvation, salvation brings joy, and nobody can take that from us. And after Jesus says these things, we we turn to chapter 17. And this right here, this right here is the Lord's Prayer. And I know it's not official. I know it's not officially called the Lord's Prayer, but that is exactly what it is. John 17:1 through 5. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world even existed. Man, if this is not the gospel, I do not know what it is. This is the greatest news that the world has ever heard and will ever hear. Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, who has all authority and is going to accomplish the work that has been laid out for him before the beginning of time, before this world even existed. And I love this next part. It is so cool that that Jesus is praying for his disciples, these men that he walked through his ministry with. And he's laying down some serious blessing on these men. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. All of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus, in verse 20, he's praying not just for the disciples, but also for those who the Father has given him, you and I. And he goes on, he doesn't pray for them to be taken out of the world, but that the evil one be kept from them. He prays that they be set apart from the evil one and that they be sanctified in truth. And we must not be separated from this world. We are to reach out to the world. We cannot be taken out of it. We must be a light to the world. And Jesus, he says in the last part of 17, these men here, I, I intercede for them. I am the propitiation for them, and not only for my original disciples, but all who trust in him. And I love this part. Listen closely. I will continue to make it known which ones are yours. And then he ends this prayer. And I'm sure, even though the disciples say that they haven't figured out, the disciples are a little bit shell-shocked right now. It's like this joke that I saw on Facebook the other day, and it went a little bit something like this. Imagine if somebody went back in time, and he comes to you and he tells you, by Easter of next year, the US, there would be no schools open. There would be no sports, we would be losing jobs, and there would be absolutely no toilet paper anywhere, all because of a virus that started in a wet market in China. And other than the virus in China, the rest of it would be so hard to wrap our minds around. And right here, Jesus is saying, I have to go die so that I can save the world. I mean, do we ever wrap our minds around that? I have to go die so that I can save the world. That seems so hard to grasp. And the disciples, they think they have it, but we all know that they have a little bit of work before they really understand it. I mean, we never really understand something until we're right in the middle of it. And Jesus dies. And after that, after it's over, after his death and his resurrection is over, the disciples, they eventually get it. I mean, if you read the book of Acts and you listen to the disciples, they get it over and over again. these cowards, these doubters, they boldly proclaim Jesus. And all of this in John, it leads us to 18 and 19. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Ironically, John leaves out the part about his disciples and him sleeping. He skips right to Judas. I mean, these are the men who spread the Gospels, the ones that were sleeping when Jesus needed them most. Starting at verse 2, chapter 18. Now Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with His disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to Him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. They, the world, they do it in the dark of night. They do it like cowards, but Jesus, he does it with such integrity. He owns up to God's plan, even though just a a few minutes before, he is sweating blood. And each of those people that come to them, they understand the power that Jesus has. They are so nervous going to see Jesus to arrest Him. And this world is around us. They understand the power of Christ. Why do you think they are always tearing us down? Looking for ways to to tear us down. The world does not attack other religions like it attacks Christianity. Christianity. Because other religions do not have the impact that Christianity does. Other religions do not have what we have, and that is Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus makes the difference. He makes us so much different. John 18, starting at verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you've gave me, I have lost not one. Even in all of this, even in all of this, he cares about his disciples. He's about to take on the sins of the world and he's he's worried about his disciples. Man, Jesus, he is cool and he is collected. Jesus is in control even when an army is standing right in front of him and death is on the horizon. Peter, on the other hand, not so much. Verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And then Jesus, he calmly bends down, picks up the ear, and he heals Malchus. You see, we don't know a lot about Malchus. And I often wonder, how could he have not surrendered to Jesus Christ? Everybody around him is nervous, and Jesus, he has such poise. I think maybe we'll see Malchus in heaven someday. But regardless, I see an object lesson where people have been hurt by Christians. But I'm here to tell you that when we truly act like Christ, we can have such an impact in people's lives. And I've told this story about this man, this pagan that walks into our door. And he's my friend and he shows up on this day and I take him to lunch and I try to share the truth about Jesus and share the faith of who Jesus is with him. And he looks at me and he says, I will never not be a pagan. But this church, this church. Pastor Bill and I, we showed him exactly who Jesus was over and over again. We were there for him when we needed him. And this man, he's currently in jail. But God has used even his time in jail. And this man calls me often, and he has accepted Christ And God is working in this man's life. He has put his faith in Jesus Christ. He is no longer a pagan. And he is surrounded by some godly men who are teaching him right doctrine. And you should hear him talk about the Scripture. And him and I are writing letters back and forth, breaking down Scripture to each other. He's talking about going to ministry after he gets out of jail. This man is a brother in Christ because this church, because we acted like Jesus. We showed love to others. We did not condemn him. We were like Christ. You see, Jesus loved those who may even say that they will never surrender to him those that think they have sinned so deeply that Jesus will never love them. I mean, Jesus heals a man who is arresting him. Jesus forgives those who are about to go and take his life. I mean, do you think he cannot forgive you? He can't forgive your lying or your cheating or whatever sin you are, you are caught up in. Drugs, alcohol, sexual sin, whatever it is. Jesus can forgive everything except unbelief. And he wants you to lay down those things, lay it down to the side and, and replace it with Jesus. But Jesus, he forgives those who even disown him in their cowardness, like Peter. Peter denies him, not even to a man, but to a servant girl. And Peter doesn't not just deny Him once. He denies Him over and over. And while Jesus, He's being questioned by the high priest about His teaching, and He he says, I do nothing in secret. I am honest, and still they strike Him across the face. He says that I have said nothing wrong, and then they send Him to Caiaphas. While all this is happening, while Jesus is being questioned, and Jesus through all of this is honest, Peter is like every one of us. He's living like a coward and and lying to save himself. John 18, starting at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, He asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. This guy's like, dude, I'm pretty sure that you cut off my cousin's ear, and Peter denies it. Right to his face, Peter is denying it. And in other Gospels, it speaks more detail of Peter's denial. Peter curses that he's not Jesus' disciple. Not just no, but, but heck no. And then the rooster crows, and I can imagine Peter, just as those words that Jesus had spoken start to resonate with Peter, he hears the rooster crow and, and sorrow sets in. Let's keep going. John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we'd have not delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself, drudge him by your own law." The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to be put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. These Jews that, that take him in, they don't even know what to accuse him of and they play these games, they use word games. Let's pick it up at verse 33. So Pilate, he entered into his, king, into his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. And the Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. And here's the best part. Right here, for this purpose, for this purpose, Jesus is saying, I am the king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. What is truth? We are told in this world that, that truth is well relevant and there is no absolutes. The question often arises, what is truth? And I say there must be truth and that Jesus is truth. And Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, we would be ninja fighting you guys. Man, I'd be working to free myself, but my kingdom is so much bigger. It is so much greater. My kingdom is so much bigger than Jerusalem or or Israel or the world. It is greater than this time frame in history. It is eternity, and it is everywhere, and that, my friend, is truth, and that is never changing. And Pilate, he thinks that Jesus is innocent. I think he believes the truth, but he does not function out of truth. He functions on whether or not the people are going to like him. I mean, how often do we go against truth because of what others may say? He lets the robber Barabbas go, and he flogs Jesus. They beat him with with whips entwined with glass and rocks, and they tear the flesh, and they penetrate his body. They penetrate his head with long thorns as as blood is running down his face. And thank the Lord that they put this purple robe on him because it helps to stop the bleeding just long enough to get him to the cross to be crucified. And even in all of this, even in all of this, Peter Pilate seems to understand the truth, but he does nothing about it. John 19, starting at verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus, he gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me. No authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, He delivered me over to you as the greater sin. I believe that all Jesus had to do, I believe that all Jesus had to do was say, You better let me go, or I'm gonna call in legions of angels. I believe if he would have said that Pilate would have let him go, he would have released Jesus. But no, Jesus will not take the easy way, way out. He will not take the easy way out. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate, he sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so on Pilate, he heard these words. He brought Jesus out and he sat him down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramea, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour or noon. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And listen to this, the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. No king but Caesar. I mean, who is their king? Is God not their king? Do they know him? And so he delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. And even in all of this, Pilate knew that there was something different And still he melted to the pressure and he gave in to the people. And before we judge him, before we judge Pilate, so often how we do the same. They make him bear his own cross. They nail him to a cross and they crucify him between two sinners and they write the king of the Jews above his head. And Pilate right here, he will not change it. And God, He even uses Pilate in this moment, and the soldiers, they're sitting there and they, they divide His garments to fulfill the scriptures. And even while Jesus is dying, with the weight of the world on His shoulders, He cares enough about His mom, enough to make sure that John takes care of her. He calls John her son. And Jesus, He's on the cross, He's suffering, He's beaten, He's bloody. And even during that time, Jesus forgives those who are crucifying Him. Let's finish with John 19, 28-30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, He said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so that put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to His mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. In Aramaic, it probably is proclaiming this, this word, shalem, which is the passive version of shalom, which means peace has been accomplished. I mean, what is finished? Jesus has conquered sin. Judaism is still waiting for that Messiah. Judaism is incomplete. Christianity is finished. The resurrection is so amazing and it seals the deal. But Jesus, he knew that he was going to race. He knew the power of the sacrifice that he himself was. And then Joseph of Arimathea, he takes him and he wraps him in 75 pounds of, of burial dressing and there he lies in a, t- a tomb. And I ask our church, I ask our church that we should should spend the next few days searching our souls, praying, and being thankful for what Christ did, the greatest gift ever on that cross. These words, Yeshua, Shalem, or salvation, Jesus, peace, has been accomplished. Let's pray. Father, On this Good Friday, the worst tragedy in the history of mankind, we can call Good Friday because of what your son endured on the cross and his death. And because of that, we can be clean and we can come into your presence And I pray for all those that may be on the fence, that they would understand, and that your Holy Spirit would penetrate their souls, and that they would trust and put their faith in Jesus, because there is no other way. Jesus is the truth. What is truth? Truth is Jesus. I thank you that we are his, and I pray deeply for this church through this weekend, and towards Resurrection Sunday. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.